With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about trends in lending, including what's happening in non-QM and M&A and the crazy cost of originating a loan. James, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Always great to have you on and find out what kind of news stories the newsroom is really talking about. Something that really caught my eye was the story about, um, you know, I think the headline is like, this small... Why the small lender is running straight into the non-QM fire. And I think it's interesting because you and I both know that non-QM, boy, it's a tough market. It's been a tough market for them. So let's talk about that story a little bit. Yeah, let's talk about that. So (laughs) I really like this piece because um, I'm especially interested in looking at companies that are zigging as others are zagging. You know, the conventional wisdom is non-QM is a really tough market right now for lots of reasons, you know, and 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 it's been probably the most volatile segment within, you know, the larger residential mortgage space. And so when a company says, we're actually going to deploy a lot of resources, we think that there's a big opportunity here uh, that others are going to miss out on, you know, it, it grabs our attention. And so Flavia Freilan Nunez spoke to the guys who are at Strong Hill Capital. They're they're basically like a small balance commercial lender, uh, but they are owned by a much bigger uh, asset management firm called Aromark Partners. And so just a week ago, they pretty much announced that they were launching a lending division to provide borrowers with non-QM, non-agency, jumbo, and and a little bit of like investor-type loans as well. Now, they do some of this stuff already, um, but they've mostly gone directly uh, to, you know, real estate investors for, for uh, you know, certain real estate, I guess, commercial and investment purposes. Uh, but now... If you're a small business owner, you know, not necessarily uh, like a real estate entity, you can do that. Or if you're an individual and, and you're looking for a, uh, you know, a loan that maybe, you know, maybe works as a, a small investment for, for an Airbnb, for example, right? You know, th- this is now an area that they are uh, committed to. So they have now, I believe they have five licenses set up for this new division in Arizona, Colorado, Florida, I want to say it's South Carolina. And um, I think it's Texas. I think Texas is the final one. Um, but but it's it's really interesting because they they think that you know depending on uh, how the Federal Reserve fund rates go and and everybody's tracking that of course you know they they might be looking at between four hundred million and five hundred million uh, on the residential consumer space in the next year and uh, and and they think they could see even bigger growth in twenty twenty four and it's it's really simple. There are a lot of borrowers out there who are still interested in purchase loans. And these days, you know, the problems, of course, in, in the housing market are are very different than the problems that people were facing a year ago, two years ago, when there was so much competition, right? And and you were locked into these crazy bidding wars. And, you know, you find out that <laughs> some, some iBuyer that you never heard of 20 minutes ago has bought up the house that you were, you know, potentially going to scoop up. And, um, and, and that's a very different issue today. And so, they think that this is a good opportunity. And uh, I, I think it's really interesting to see, 
you know, where they go in this? Because we, we've talked about some of the closures uh, of some of the big non-QM players. Uh, First Guarantee Mortgage Corp, FGMC, shut down. Uh, Sprout Mortgage shut down in July. Uh, they laid off their staff. They didn't pay anybody, right? They didn't give any severance. People had health insurance. People at Sprout were actually in the process of buying houses and, uh, <laughs> you know, ended up not being able to close. Like, you know, crazy, crazy, crazy stuff going on in non-QM. And, and, you know, the secondary market is really tough on that space right now. And uh, I, I am fascinated. I'm really excited to see where they go and, uh, you know, if, if they can make an impression on brokers. So that's really the channel that they're looking to expand this product line from. I think it's really interesting too, that they specifically call out, like they could be the one-stop shop. If, if you're that person, if you're a brokerage who wants to buy five investment properties, right. And that you, you know, just working with one person who can, who can really take you from, you know, from all the way through the process and understands how to, how to underwrite those things, has the loan products for you, that that's really a niche that they see might, might be something interesting. Yeah, and, and there are established players in this space as well. You know, like let's not pretend that that they've you know they've discovered the new world, right? I mean, that there's Deep Haven, Angel Oak. I'd say those are probably going to be their natural competitors. Um, but it is a space that a lot of people or a lot of lenders that have traditionally operated there are pulling back, and uh, you know the risk reward is is not as high for some, and and you know everybody has sort of a different investment thesis, a different business model. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely running headfirst into the fire, as they said. And, um, it's, it's a really interesting time. You know, there's still some demand for properties that can be used as, as, uh, you know, Airbnbs or, um, you know, other rental type properties. So it's, it's not like that dried up, you know, there's still a lot of people traveling. There's still a lot of people looking for winter vacations, still a lot of people who are scouting houses in other areas, you know, maybe, maybe they need to relocate for a job or whatnot, and and they need an Airbnb, right? So the demand, although it's probably dropped from the summer of 2021, and, and definitely, you know, over the last few months, it's still happening, right? And so there's opportunity there. There is opportunity. We, we see, and I talked about this a little bit yesterday on the podcast uh, with Melissa, but we see companies looking to, especially like um, doing buy-down programs, um, really doing things that would be of unheard of a year ago to really uh, figure out how to help consumers when mortgage rates are still so high. Yeah. And, and the buy down programs, you know, like it's not new. People have, people used to do it. Um, these are kind of products that emerge whenever the market's pretty choppy and, and they, the lenders desperately need to figure out a way to get volume, right? Like these, these lenders only survive if they originate a certain number or they restructure or they have, you know, in some cases they, they go out of business, right? We haven't seen a whole lot of those lately, but um, yeah, I, I mean, you, you have to get inventive. You have to lean on other types of lending uh, options. There are still buyers um, and especially now, you know, like rates have dropped. They're no longer firmly in the sevens, and and maybe they'll return. You know, it's hard to say. I, I think I'd be a fool if I said I knew exactly where rates were going. You know, or or I'd be very rich and I wouldn't be on this podcast <laughs> with you. So um, one of two things, maybe both, right? Uh, but but really, the point remains: um, if you're a lender, you have to find another opportunity because if you are just sticking with whatever you know the standard, let's say six and a half percent, no buy down, no incentive for a borrower or a broker, if that's your your, your network that you're trying to tap, 
um, you have to do it because your competitors are going to do it. And the reality is, and I don't know a lot of people in the industry don't like to say this, but most people have to compete on rate. And if you don't compete on rate, it doesn't matter what your service is. It doesn't matter, you know, how well you walk the borrower through, uh, you know, that their options, if you are a hundred basis points higher, they're not going to choose you, right? Because you're, you are not saving them the money that they need when they're already paying more than they would have, you know, six months ago, a year ago, whatever. Right. So it's, um, it's, it's a really tough market. And I, I, I would love to see a little bit more real innovation. You know, these are programs that have happened that have been established. I mean, they're not new, but we know that there are other programs that for a number of reasons, you know, aren't really being utilized. So, um, you know, through the FHA, theoretically, Sarah, if I wanted to sell you my house and I had an FHA loan and you qualified, you could buy, essentially buy my rate. You could take my mortgage. These programs almost like never happened, right? VA assumable, right? VA assumable, same. Yes, similar thing. Yep, totally. I don't know anyone who has actually done this. (laughs) And I know the mortgage, you know, LOs are like, Please tell us more. Like we we are interested. We want to figure out a way, you know, to to get people to um, you know basically part with their mortgage when they have a rate of like two five, two seven five, you know, maybe even low threes, right? Um, but they weren't. I don't think anyone's really meaningfully worked on these programs in a long time, and they don't make a lot of financial sense for the lender and the amount of hoops you would need to go through as both the seller or the buyer crazy, crazy. And so people don't do it. But I mean, if if you want to think about a way to incentivize homeownership right now for people who are still historically speaking, credit wise, still in a really, really good spot, right? We're not seeing like people with 520 credit scores who are buying houses. And like, we haven't seen that in a long time, right? So it's not like we have a credit issue here. And and if you check all the boxes, Sarah, if, if you had the good credit to buy my house and I had an FHA loan and I could, you know, you could assume my mortgage, right? Wouldn't you do it, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you want to absolutely get, get a that 275 mortgage? But, yep. you know, it's not going to happen, you know, for now. I, I know that the FHA has said that they're interested in in really trying to bring that program back to life, if, if there ever was life. I don't know the full history of it, but uh, from what I understand, like it's it's basically been just one of those like quirks that people go, oh, I didn't know you could do this. And, and people say, yeah, you, you can, but you really can't. You know, uh, that becomes more important than ever when we talk about just, you know, we know that volume was bad. We know that lenders, you know, you've said several times, it's a rough market. We had the uh, Q3 uh, report come out for how much IMBs, uh, what it costs to originate. And it was just Wow. I, I mean, I was stunned and I've seen this, you know, I've seen this before where it was really, uh, really high cost to originate. So the difference between last year, so, so this year average IMB lost $624 per loan in Q3 versus, you know, Q3 last year where you had the, uh, 25, almost $2,600 in gain that they did every time they did a loan. So, I mean, that's wow. just so hard that's to overcome. $3,000 difference. That's crazy. That is crazy. I, I, I would bet. I, I would. I am a betting man, actually. Not that I gamble, uh, but I would bet that that's probably the biggest differential that we've seen in the modern mortgage marketplace. I would bet probably like fifty years, right? So, I mean, that's that's incredible. 
I would agree with you. And I think that that cost to originate, um, unfortunately, you know, the way that some some things are set up is like the only way that it makes sense uh, when it's so hard to originate is, is just volume, right? So, right. you know, you some of the scale. things, yeah, scale, because some of the things you just can't change, like your compliance does not change whether you have one loan or a hundred loans or a thousand loans or whatever. It's like the compliance uh, obligations are still there. They, you know, all of the things that you have to do on underwriting are still there. So. Right. And that's what Bob Rokesmith, you know, kind of alluded to uh, during the MBA annual uh, panel in, in Nashville, right? You know, during his keynote address, he talked a lot about these fixed costs and 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 how much, you know, regulation and, and, and government control really adds to some of these fixed costs. And you can't get rid of your, you know, your originations uh, department. You can't get rid of, you know, your, uh, your underwriting department. You know, you need compliance folks. You need to pay the lawyers. That said, you know, we, we know from the experts that the mortgage industry is going to shed more jobs, right? I mean, Q3, even having lost $624 per loan on average, they have not cut to the bottom or, or to the bone, I guess, so to speak, right? So most of these costs are, are born out of employee-related costs. It's not like technology investment has caused, you know, this $3,000, uh, you know, peak to drop uh change. It's, it's all in employee headcount. So, you know, and of course production as well. You know, I think that's interesting when you talk about, you know, the costs and stuff like that. We did, uh, you did a story last week on the adverse market fee, the fact that it fueled the G fee uh, profitability in 2021 to no one's surprise, right? When, when the G fee came out, the adverse market fee, um, sorry, not the GP. When the adverse market fee was announced and it was announced with like a three week implementation period. And then they were had to like move that back by months because literally it, it was not possible. They were so <laughs> pissed. I, I can't tell you how many emails I got from people just hopping mad about this fee. Uh, I mean that most, most of the people who emailed me, of course, who were mad and, 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 you know, felt like their, their business was really taking a hit. Um, felt like it was a money grab. Now, you know, of course, the Biden administration did respond fairly quickly, and I believe it was it was ended in like June or July, right? But but even even then, like even with just that period, it contributed hugely to uh, you know the GFE costs. So yeah, interesting, very much. So you do have to look at that and go, hmm. What I mean, it, it's hard to say that there was an adverse, uh, you know, it was an adverse market fee, but there was no adverse market <laughs> at the time. Right. I mean, now we have an adverse market in a different way. Yeah. Thank goodness we do not have the adverse market fee, though. That would be uh, that would be even. Worse. I mean, that would kill whatever production is is even happening now, right? You add another fifty basis points. Yeah. What else do you um, have in the works? I know we have several features that just got uh, filed, and we have some more that are that people are working on. Yeah, so we, we've got one coming today or tomorrow. It's Tuesday, by the way, and um, and so Flavia has been working on on this piece about movement mortgage. You know, they're they're one of the bigger distributed retail non banks out there. They are headquartered down in in a uh, South Carolina. And they have been probably, I don't know, I wouldn't say maybe the most acquisitive, but they've picked up a few firms over the last few months. And, um, you know, the first was a brokerage up in the Northeast. And then they just recently, I want to say a week ago, two weeks ago, maybe, uh, picked up another one, not a brokerage in this case, but um, 
you know, another distributed retail operation, an independent, one of, one of the bigger independent firms out there. And we really wanted to figure out, okay, if movement is doing this, what are others doing? You know, what, what does their strategy look like in relation to others? And uh, I thought it was really fascinating. So Flavia spoke to Mike Brennan, who's a uh, movement's president. I, I believe he ascended to the role in January of 2021. And, you know, like everybody else, movement is looking for production. They're looking to acquire firms right now. Their previous strategy had been, you know, they, they want to grow organically. They wanted to find individual agents that they felt, felt melt, met their culture and and would be productive. You know, they don't want to have uh, <laughs> a lot of dead weight on on their uh, on their balance sheet. And today, I think they want to be a little bit more opportunistic. So they're targeting mid-sized lenders, which means, you know, generally speaking, companies between about five billion and seven billion in origination volume per year. Um, you know, and and I think all of that is also relative. You know, what what was a five billion dollar lender a year ago is not a five billion dollar a year lender today. Um, but but they're definitely looking for that midsize. You know, not a company that only did seven fifty million. You know, no, nothing too small. Um, but they're also, from what I can gather, they're not looking to hire, um, you know, or, or acquire firms that are their size. Right? They're they're a top twenty five uh, retail lender. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think that they're going to be facing a lot of the uh, same market conditions that say like a guild would be facing or, you know, maybe to a lesser extent, but but similarly like a guaranteed rate or others where, where they're definitely going to be eyeing acquisitions. Um, they want to grow. They know that, you know, there are really two ways to go. You either get much smaller or you get much bigger, right? And um, a lot of them are, are going to invest. They have money, whether they're through private equity firms or, or just you know their their founder, CEO, uh, initial shareholders um, have you know acquired or, or made good decisions over the last few years. And and I, I think they're going to be buyers. I think they'll probably pick up another you know one, two, maybe three firms over the next year or two. Um, it really depends on, on rates, right? You know, if rates fall back into the fives, I, I think a lot of those business opportunities probably um, probably dry up. But uh, if, if you're a lender that has cash and you can survive, you know, a year just doing what you're doing, um, a lot of smaller players just can't. And so you can probably get them at, at really great prices. And and so that's, that's what movement strategy is largely, is they, they want to find um, you know, distributed retail, or, or you know, as we know that they'll definitely pick up a broker firm too if if it works. Um, and and they wanna they wanna get LOs who are part of that culture fit, and they wanna grow. I would bet movement expects to be probably in the top fifteen over the next year or two. You know, they're they're definitely interested and and um I, I don't see that they're targeting geographic areas either. I think they, they want to look at uh, you know companies that, that are originating loans and doing a good book of business anywhere in the US. That's interesting. I, I think of movement as like, you know, they weren't one of the refi shops, right? I mean they they uh, originally, yeah. I, I don't think they were quite the, you know, 
their whole culture and their whole attitude toward refis was different than a lot of people's. I know at, at the end, I mean, you have to, I mean, you need to serve your customers. And if it serves your customers best to do a refi, you should do it. And I think they did that. But I, I was wondering if that's what positioned them to be in the, you know, where they are, where they're looking to acquire as opposed to being acquired. They've been fairly good at purchase, um, you know, even even during the refi boom of 2020 and and 2021, uh, they they definitely posted better numbers on on being you know purchase focused than than a lot of their peers, and I know that they you know expected that the market would change, you know, and, and that doesn't necessarily make them, uh, you know, entirely prescient, right? Like everybody knew eventually that this was going to to uh, to tip, um, but they've been really really uh, strong with purchase, and um, I think they're looking for purchase focused firms as well. You know, I, the, the writing on the wall is if you're very much a uh, call center type refi shop, you're going to struggle immensely over the next year or two, and you have to be good at purchase, and you have to have a good book of business with real estate agents. James, thanks so much for coming on today and telling us what uh, the newsroom has worked on and is working on. Really appreciate all that hard work. Thanks very much. And I hope everybody enjoys their Thanksgiving. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.